will. We'll get started this morning, Romans 11. And uh, we're in verse 11. And following here, uh, we're going to go back up. We're actually going to focus in on verse 13, 14, and 15. But let's start reading at 11 because we're going to pick up a theme here in 11, an issue that we didn't look at. And then we will look at them in connection with uh, the rest of the section uh, as we get ready to go into verse 16 and following in, in, the, in the section there. Verse 11, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid. But rather through their fall, salvation has come unto the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. Now if the fall of them be the riches of the world and the diminishing of them the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? For I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office. If by any means I might provoke to emulation them which are my flesh and might save some of them. For if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world... What shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? Now, what I want to do this morning is catch in verse 11 that issue of provoke to jealousy, and then in verse 14, the issue of provoking to emulation. Those are two different things we've seen in verse 11. I say then, have they, and again, the they there is Israel, the nation of Israel, the national status Okay, so in, in, in verse 1, he talks about the individual Jew and their opportunity for justification into the church, the body of Christ, and under Paul's gospel. And now in verse 11 and in verse 15, he's talking about on the national. Na national Israel, have they stumbled? Well, did they fall? God forbid. So we see, we've seen their stumbling. Two manners in their stumbling. One, over the identity of, their, of the Messiah which resulted in the crucifixion. And then they stumbled over that renewed opportunity under the Acts, early Acts ministry of Peter and the Twelve and the Little Flock. They stumble there. And then we see that they did, we, we have seen that they do fall, Acts 7, with the stoning of Stephen, that, that issue there where a man full of the Holy Ghost, Stephen looking up and seeing the Lord standing but before that, he's, that verse in Acts 7, he says he saw the glory of God, that issue of the God is ready to come back and pour out his wrath, and that issue of the glory of God in association with the, with the angelic host and the armies of heaven ready now to come back and wage out the war that is, and, and the pouring out of the wrath. So he sees that at, in Acts 7, that's the historical fall of the nation of Israel. By the way, politically, Israel had fallen under the, under the Babylonian captivity, under Nebuchadnezzar. When Nebuchadnezzar takes them, in, in Daniel, we read about it, but in Isaiah talks about it, in Jeremiah, they all prophesy about it. When that happens, politically, Israel is no more. The fifth course of judgment has happened. So politically, they are toast. So 1948 or whatever, when the United Nations and all of that stuff happened and reestablished Israel as a nation, that wasn't God's doing. That wasn't fulfilling prophecy. That's just a bunch of Gentile people who don't understand their Bible rightly divided, trying to do something, thinking they're going to gain a blessing from God. That's all that was. Politically, in God's, in God's word, Israel's toast. Then in Acts 7, spiritually, what did Israel do? They fall. 
So you have the complete casting away. That's why verse 15, for if the casting away, back up in, in, in verse uh, 1, hath God cast away his people, cast away, thrown them away? Is he disregarding them? Well, in the moment, yes, and that's going to be Paul, where Paul's going to shift now in verse 16 and following to talk about the, temporar- the temporal situation in Israel's program. It's a temporary thing. It isn't a permanent thing. It's temporary. And we'll get into, we'll start all that next time, Lord willing. So they do fall. Verse 11. They fall historically in Acts 7. With their fall now, God is able to reach in and do some things that he was not able to do under Israel's program. He's able to change the dispensation. In verse 15, when he talks there about, for if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world. He literally, when the, with their fall, when God changed the status of Israel's favored status to, you're just one of the rest of the Gentile nations out there. You had to think about that. We, I think some, we were having a conversation about that yesterday or somewhere. You think about Israel. When Abra- Abraham... When God set in the issue of circumcision in Genesis 17, God made the division among the Gentile nations. Abraham's a Gentile. He's always been a Gentile. He always was a Gentile. He's one of the nations. That's who he is. He sets in a circumcision, uncircumcision thing, issue, a middle wall or partition, and who's he dividing up? The Gentiles. That's who he's dividing up. If you get circumcised, you're part of my deal. If you're part of my nation, if you're not, you're uncircumcised, you're cut off. There's no Jew there yet. See, the Jews don't come on board until after the exodus with Moses. Now we have a Jew and a Gentile. Now we have the law given to where Israel is going to be the head and everybody else is the tail. So you have this issue here that's now... Now in 11.15, because of their fall, because God has now taken that favored status from, you guys understand that. The, the stuff going on in Ukraine and with Russia and all that, what can we do to hurt them non-militarily? We, we have sanctions. We take away their what? Favored nation status. In other words, now they don't, they're, they're not in favor with us, they're in disfavor. So we don't give them money, we don't do X, Y, Z, whatever it is. That's what God did. God said, you're no longer my nation. I'm now going to come over here and do something different. And the reconciling of the world there is the changing of the status of the world. Why? Because of Israel's status. When Israel was God's nation... He had to use, because of the covenant, because of the agreement, the Abrahamic covenant, the Davidic covenant, and so forth, God had to use Israel to then deal with the nations. He was going through Israel. Now that they've fallen, he's cast away. He doesn't have to do that. Now what can he do? He can become the mediator between God and man directly. Follow that? So the reconciling of the world in, in Paul's epistles, he's got four different reconciliations and one of them is this changing of the status of the world from uncircumcised and far off to what? Ephesians 2.13, 
but now ye that were son are what? Nigh. There's a change. He, ha- he can't do that with Israel in the way. He, the covenant that he has with them, he's got to work through them. Roman, or Genesis 12, what did he tell Abraham? Through you and your seed, you're going to bless the families of the earth. I have to work through your seed. I have to do that. Now that your seed has fallen <laughs> and the status is no longer favored, now I can come over here and send justification. I can do verse 11. Salvation is come unto the Gentiles. So we've seen their stumble. We've seen their fall. Last time we saw verse 12, now if the fall of them be the riches of the world and the diminishing of them, the riches of the Gentiles. See that issue of their fall and their diminishing brought in riches to the world. Why? Because it changed the status. It changed. Now God is able to reach down directly, save Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus, use him, verse 13, I speak to you Gentiles, and as much as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify my office. We'll say more about that in just a second. But the thing is, is he can use Paul, Saul, to now go out and to reach the all men instead of the many. He couldn't do that before. He interrupts their program right when he should have poured out wrath. Right when Stephen looks up and sees the armies of the glory of God cut, ready to come back and pour out wrath. He says, nope, we're going to go do something. They have fallen. Now I can reach over here and do something else, and I can reveal truth that was hid in me. Could you imagine? You have truth that's hid in you. God had the truth, sound doctrine, the mystery truth, kept secret in him. He goes, now I can make this known, that not only do I have a restoration plan for the earth, but I have a restoration plan for the heaven out there, and this is who I'm using to do, and he begins to reveal the sound doctrine. We've seen that. All that's review. But look in 1111, because I, I skipped this on purpose when we went through verse 11. The end of that verse, for to provoke them to jealousy. Verse 14. If by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh and might save some of them. The two verses here, 11.11, the provoking to jealousy and the provoking to emulation, describe the Acts ministry of the Apostle Paul. Okay? What Paul is doing in Acts, Acts 9 to 28, is a provoking of Israel. One, to jealousy, and two, to emulation. Emulation, copycat. Peter says it in Acts 15, that he says we, the Jews, have to be saved like them, the Gentiles. Now, he's not talking about the little flock because they're already there. He's talking about that unbelieving Jew, the heathen, the members of the vain religious system, the ones in the synagogue. Remember in Acts 17? What's Paul's manner? Start in the synagogue. Why? Because I have a provoking ministry. Everybody goes, oh, see, he goes to the Jew first. Do you know why he, the question isn't, see, he did. Why did he do this? Well, you don't find that out unless you have Romans 11. Actually, you don't find out, you, don't, you can't understand anything Paul does in Acts 9 to 28 without Romans 9, 10, and 11. You just don't understand it. 
And actually, that's where the heresy begins to come in with two bodies and this and that and all this stuff. No, you get in the book, study Paul's epistles. Where do we get our doctrine from? Paul's epistles. We don't get it from the book of Acts. Acts isn't a historical account of the church. It's not, so I heard one, somebody say one time that Acts is the birth certificate of the church, the body of Christ. And you know where the guy had that, the church starting? Acts 2. No, it's not that at all. Actually, Acts is a written indictment against the nation of Israel for their failure to identify their Messiah, their failure to identify the renewed opportunity under the little flock, and then their failure to recognize the new program given to Paul and going that way. So what these two verse, these two issues here are going to do this morning, I hope, with you, is he's going to provoke them. One, to jealousy. Now, is provoking to jealousy, a, by the way, provoking can be good and bad, can it? Provoking to jealousy is the bad. Provoking to emulation is the good. He's going he's to provoke them here. He's going to Come in, and Paul, he's going to go into Israel and into their synagogues, into that unbelieving heathen, he calls them in Galatians 2. And he's going to provoke them. And he's going to provoke them to jealousy, and he's going to provoke them to emulation, and he's going to do it by verse 13, the message given to him as the apostle of the Gentiles. Okay? And again... I beat this till the day I'm dead, I guess. You can't understand Paul in Acts without the information here in Romans 9, 10, and 11 generally, but specifically Romans 11, 11, and following. Because as he deals with fallen Israel, as he deals with the castaway Israel, as he deals, come back with me to Acts 17, with their diminishing away. He does it in, in a very specific, God-ordained manner. You see, sometimes I, guess I think people think that Paul just went out and did whatever he wanted. No. Who sent the Apostle Paul? The Lord Jesus Christ did. He's not out there just going, I think today I'll go down there and pick a fight again with Ochiaphas and down at the city hall. He didn't say that. You remember in Acts when Paul wants to go to Jerusalem and the Holy Spirit tells him you shouldn't go to Jerusalem and he goes anyway and the Holy Spirit didn't do anything to him except tell him if you go, this is what's going to happen to you. And what did he do? He went anyway. See, the Holy Spirit's working in Paul, warns him, but lets Paul go do. Why? Because where did Paul need to get to? He needed to get to Rome. So how are we going to get to Rome? We're going to get there via this anyway. Acts 17, you found it by now. Verse 1. Now when they had passed through, and, and I can always get hung up on the PH. Amphipolis, it's my tongue. I say it in my head right. And Apollonia, see I can say that one right. And they come to Thessalonica where it was a synagogue of the Jews. Now again, who's in the synagogue? Not believing remnant not the circumcision, okay? 
apostate Israel is. The guy, we're in Mark 7 on Wednesday night. By the way, Mark, our study in Mark is so lining up with our study in Romans 11 that it's unreal. Because what Paul's doing to Israel in Romans 11 is what the Lord is doing to them in Mark 7. It's very fascinating. Why? Because in Mark 7, he's dealing with the Pharisees and the scribes, and you know what he calls them? Hypocrites. Vain religious system. You guys are taking the traditions of men and the elders, and you're making the word of God a non-effect. You know what Paul's done to them in Romans 9? Your problem is your unbelief. You're not operating in faith. Your problem, Romans 10, is you're still operating in unbelief. What's he doing in Romans 11? Same thing. The problem isn't God. The problem isn't God's word. The problem is you. You're a sinner. Anyway, verse 2. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. What is Paul's, what is Paul's manner? Well, he goes into the synagogue, but why? To provoke them to jealousy and to provoke them to emulation. How do I know that? Romans 11, 11, and 14. What's Paul doing in the Acts period? In Acts 9 to 28, he's in there provoking them. He goes to the Jew first. Why? To provoke them. Think about the Jews. They've had 1,500 years or so of being God's people. Now they got a Weisenheimer over here that used to be one of us telling us we're not God's people anymore. Do you think they were happy with Paul? Not at all. They tried to kill him several times, actually. Now, come back to 11.11. Slide something into Acts 17. Well, you can let it go. So to provoke them to jealousy, we're going to be back in Acts so in, a, in, a, in an hour here. Think about jealousy. Let's think about this. Jealousy. Someone, when you look at someone and they have something that you feel belongs to you or that you think or feel they don't deserve, that's jealousy. Jealousy is, you've got something that I think I should have, therefore you don't deserve it. So now I go and I, after you. What is Paul going to do? We're going to see it. He's going to reach in there and he's going to say, salvation is unto who? The Gentiles. And you know what the Jew says? Uh-uh, salvation is of the Jews. See, he's just, he's sticking them. And they... They're going to have some jealousy. So jealousy is an emotional response to when someone has something that you believe belongs to you and or you believe that they don't deserve it. That's what he's provoking here. He'll look over there, at Romans 11, 11. What does he say? Salvation is come unto the Gentiles. John 4, 22, the Lord says salvation is of the Jews. And he causes some trouble, some turmoil. Verse 14, 11, 14. Provoke, the, if by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh. Again, Israel. Now, by the way, notice, and might save how many of them? Some, not all of them. In verse 26 of chapter 11, and so all Israel shall be saved. Now we're back in Israel's program, but not today. Why? Because it's unto all, but it's only upon all them that believe. 
The message is available to everyone in that synagogue, but only those that believe. And we'll see here in just a minute that some do believe. And there's an emulation here, a copycat. That's what it is to emulate. Paul, I'm going to go do what... I'm going to, I want you to copycat the Gentile. I want to go do now what you're doing, and I'm going to copy. You ever have a, somebody that copycats you, you know, and tries to? Usually it's kids, and you end up whacking them in the head or something. I can remember my guys started it when we were on a trip back to Chicago in the van, and they started, and I, I ended it because it was annoying. And it's like, you know, I let them have it for a little bit, but then I end it. Why? Because, so what is Paul going to do? Look, Jews, you can't do that anymore. You've got to come over here and do what the Gentiles are doing. Now, how does he do that? Provoking them to jealousy, because he's going to do some things in Acts that go, wait a minute, why are you doing that? What's the ministry? Acts 9 to 28, in that diminishing, what is Paul doing to the Jew? Provoking them. Jealousy and emulation. He's literally telling them, Guy, folks, you need to do what the Gentiles are doing. And by the way, what are the Gentiles doing? They are believing by faith alone. Remember, you're in 11. Go back there to chapter 9. I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but you just got to think this through. Uh, chapter 9. Verse 31, but Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Wherefore, because they sought it not by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law. What are they doing? 10.3, they're being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness. They're not operating by faith. And what does the Gentile have to do? Operate by faith and faith alone. So Jew, what do you have to do now? Operate by faith and faith alone. Again, we're not... You've got to remember, and I'm, I'm saying it over and over again, Paul is not dealing with the little flock. He's dealing with the folks in the synagogue. Now, he does have interaction through with Peter and the guys, but he's not telling them anything. He's not provoking them at all. He's over here in the, in the synagogue provoking them. Well, I'll show, we'll see it here in just a minute. Okay, and you've got to remember that you've got to. If you forget that or don't understand that, then you will literally hang yourself spiritually on the Book of Acts. It will be the rope that kills your spiritual life, because you're making Paul do something that he's not doing. Again, that's why I keep. What was his manner? Synagogue. Why he's got a provoking ministry, and that Book of Acts is a written indictment against Israel, not a historical account of the start of the church, the body of Christ. Okay? I hate to go on a rabbit trail, but you got... Look, look at chapter 15 of Romans. Actually, 16. Romans 16. Look at verse, well, verse 3. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus. Where do Aquila and Priscilla show up? Acts 18. Okay. Now watch the next verse. Who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom now only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Do you see that churches of the Gentiles? Do you know that Paul's out there actively starting churches? Acts 14, he lays out the... the 
the pattern of the local assembly and how it's designed to, to get started. He's, and you know what you read in Acts? You read nothing in Acts about him out there in the territory establishing churches. Now, you read about specific ones and for reasons. By the way, usually the reasons are because of the Jews in the area and what the Jews are doing. You read about Berea in Acts 17. What was happening at Berea? These were more noble than those. The these are the Jews in the synagogue in the next prior verse. What have they done? They've gone to the Old Testament scripture, studied out what Paul presented to them. Think about Paul, Saul of Tarsus. He sat at the feet of Gamaliel, the leading theologian of the day. He went to his school, has his schooling. Paul knows he's a Pharisee. He's a Bible believer. He's an Old Testament Bible believer. On the road to Damascus, when the Lord, when he says, Who art thou, Lord? He's hoping that it's not, the answer isn't Jesus of Nazareth. And he it is, because he knows that the Messiah is supposed to come, but he's got this Superman he, picture of the Messiah returning, which is what religion does, instead of the meek and lowly. He missed the first, okay? Go back to Romans 11. Get back on track here. So, the thing here is, is there's a lot of activity that Paul does during that Acts 9 to 28 that isn't recorded in Acts. Luke doesn't write it down. Well, then it must not have happened. No, Paul just says it did. What did Romans 15? He's listing churches in Romans 15, and I'm sorry, Romans 16 there, that he's establishing, and the only time that he could do that is in Acts really 9 to 20, 21, where he writes Romans. He's not out there just, okay, one synagogue. He's actively doing the work of the ministry that was given to him, establishing. But Acts doesn't record that. Why? Because that's not the point. I had somebody ask me uh, the other day about other Gentiles in the Scripture. The reason they're not listed in the Scripture is that's not the point. The scripture is establishing the governmental authority in the earth and the governmental authority in the heaven. That's what the, and the ultimate plan of glory that the Father had to exalt his Son above it all. That's the plan. That's the issue. How do we do this? How is God doing this? There it is. It's, it, it's the simplicity that's in Christ. And if it's complicated, you better be leery of it. It's sim- Simplicity. I'm talking about depth and understanding the deeper things of God, because we can do that, but there's a simplicity to it. And in that issue, even here in Romans 11, because we can get down in this grafting and stuff, hopefully some next time, you get people that get ideas and they spin them out, and you know who it begins to attack? The Lord Jesus Christ. You know who it begins to move you away from? The Lord Jesus Christ. Because they have this going this way, and the Lord says, hey, this is, I'm the center of this, and my activity at Calvary is the center of this, and you've just spun it off way over there. Anyway, Romans 11, get back in here. Okay? So there are two different methods, two different components to Paul's acts ministry, provoking ministry, to jealousy and to emulation. And again, that emulation, it's not, emulation is not jealousy. Emulation is, you know how you know that? Look them up in the dictionary, and they're they're different words. They're spelled different, okay, you know, obvious thing. They are, 
Emulation, you've got to copy. You've got to do now what the Gentiles are doing. They're two different things. By the way, Paul's using this very specific language because it's demonstrating his ministry in Acts 9 to 28. Now watch verse 13. For I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office. Now, we use that verse a lot because of what it says. And it's appropriate to use it. He's the apostle. But when he says here, I speak to the Gentiles, he, he is not changing the audience in the text. Okay? There's an idea, and I used to think this way, that when Paul says, I speak to the Gentiles, that from here now down to verse 25, he's speaking to the Gentiles. You know what? He's always been speaking to the Gentiles, to the church, the body of Christ. So then what's happening? Why verse 13? Okay. The question really should be, why does Paul here at this point emphasize his apostleship? Why does he say, I magnify mine office? He doesn't magnify himself. He's magnifying the office. Why does he do this? Well, what just came out of verse 11 and 12? What did we just learn in verse 11? They stumble, they fall, there's a provoking ministry, and there's a diminishing. I speak to you Gentiles. And what Paul is going to develop here now to that apostate, that heathen nation, that, that unbelieving Jew. Verse 14, if by any means I might provoke to emulation them which are my flesh and might save some of them. Paul, I'm talking to you Gentiles. I'm the apostle of the Gentiles. I'm magnifying my office there because I am provoking Israel. So at this point, why does he bring in this great verse about his apostolic? And again, we defend Paul's apostleship, and I'm not going to do that. You guys can do that. I understand that. What's he doing? How, he, how does he provoke Israel to jealousy and to emulation? How does he do it? He does it, verse 13, as what? The apostle of the Gentiles. That's how he does it. He does it by magnifying his office. You follow that? When he goes in to the synagogue and he demonstrates that Christ is the very Christ, Messiah, and then he moves over in Acts 13 and then he gives them his gospel, because he does, he does it on the authority of him being the apostle to the Gentiles. That's what he's doing. Now, they have 12 apostles, but the unbelieving Jew doesn't believe the 12 apostles. They've rejected them. You know that, right? Okay, thank you. <laughs> what are they? Paul stands up and he says, hey, God is, he is speaking to you. He is confronting you through the ministry he gave me as the apostle to the gen of the Gentiles. By the way, you'll notice in verse 13 that it says the apostle of the Gentiles. It doesn't say to the Gentiles. We say that. We spin that out. See, that's what got me thinking about this verse a little differently than what you hear usually. 
He is the apostle of the Gentiles. In his position as apostle of the Gentiles, now he is the apostle to the Gentiles. What is he doing to Israel? He's provoking them. And it's his message that's doing the provoking. He goes in. He says, I am a man sent from God. Here's my Galatians 1. I didn't hear it from anybody. I'm not a continuation of that over there. I'm something new. And he begins to lay out the dispensational issues and the apostleship and the ministry of Paul as God. He's demonstrating that Israel has fallen. And he's doing it with the new revelation of what God had hid in him, the dispensation of grace. Do you follow that? There's something new here. You see, he's provoking Israel to jealousy, not just because he can. I think it's a great idea. You ever do that? I mean, I think that's a wonderful... He's doing it on the basis of the authority of the one, that word apostle, sent one with authority on behalf of another. He's doing it with the, based on the authority of the risen, ascended, and seated at the, up on high, high above all principal authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, I'm down here provoking them to emulation, provoking them to jealousy, doing the things I'm doing it because that's the message that God gave me to give them and to the Gentiles. He's speaking, again, the language here. The only way that Israel will learn anything about their fallen status, about their stumbling, about their diminishing away, is by listening to the Apostle Paul. Acts 8.1, the believing remnant is left Jerusalem. They've been scattered. They're gone. What's happening? Paul goes in, as his manner is, into that synagogue and says, listen, you need to listen to what I have to say. And he gives them the message about their stumble. He gives them a message, stumbling over Christ, Messiah. Gives them the message about their fall, Acts 7. And then he gives them a message about, now you've got to go believe the way the Gentile does, and that's by faith alone. No activity, no work, no effort. And you need to get out of that unbelieving element. Come over to Acts 13. You, you, you follow, I hope you see that, because that's what the, verse 13 is about. 11.13, it's about the issue here. You see, he says, Romans 11.13, I, I speak to you as the apostle of the Gentiles, because that's how he's doing, verse 14, provoking them to emulation, verse 11, provoking them to jealousy. Okay? How, how, does, he do, how does he do his provoking ministry? He does it as the apostle of the Gentiles. That's how he does it. That's why he magnifies his office. Look at Acts 13. The three passages last time we looked at uh, on the diminishing factor, again, Paul, Acts 13, Acts 18, and Acts 28, Paul is moving further and further away from Jerusalem. I just want you to catch something here in Acts 13, because what Acts 13 does for us, it sets the, this is the norm, rather than the, the oddball thing, okay? 
here's what Paul would do. He goes in, Acts 13, stands, verse 16, gives a message. He's in the synagogue there at, at Antioch, Pisidia, uh, in verse 14. But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch in Pisidia and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. He stands up, verse 16, recites Israel's big history lesson to him, verse 38. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man, talking about Christ, is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, now watch, all that believe, now wouldn't that put a slap on a Jew's face? What do you mean all? What do you mean, Paul? What do you mean by all? Well, a Jew and a Gentile, no, are justified from all things which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. There's another slap. Circumcision availeth you nothing, Galatians says. Uncircumcision availeth you. What's the, what's the issue? Being in Christ. Beware, therefore, lest that, uh, lest that come upon you which is spoken of in the prophets. Behold, behold ye despisers and wonder and perish, for I work a work in your days, a work which ye shall in no wise believe, though a man declare it unto you. The man there that Paul is saying is him. Now, he's quoting the prophets, Habakkuk and Isaiah. And he says, listen, what the prophets said back there, by the way, the prophets, that man the prophets are talking about is who? The Lord Jesus Christ in their program. Paul reaches back, uses that verse and says, hey, you better be careful now because I'm standing in front of you with a new message from God as a new apostle. And you better pay attention. Verse 42, and when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. So that tells you what, what was what, in Paul's message of, for, of verse 38, pre, that the, through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins, and by him all that believe are justified. What do you think he was preaching about that all? The Gentiles are now... On the, on, the, on the table as well. Everybody. God would have all men be saved. Everybody's available. Now. It's available to everybody now. You see, he did his Romans 3 with them, and the Gentiles said what? Verse 42. Hey, we'd like to hear more about this next week. Can you come back? See, But how's he standing there as the what? The apostle of the Gentiles. Keep reading. Verse 43. Now, when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. Do, do, do you see? Some of the Jews begin to do what? Believe as well. But what's interesting is he says how, he, how Mark, or Luke wrote the verse. Many of the Jews and religious... See that word religious? That's not little flock. They were to call no man father. They were not to be a part of that religious system. Who is he talking to? That apostate nation over there. Keep reading, verse 44. And the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. Who would they come to hear? Paul, the apostle of the Gentiles. This new message. Here it is. Now, watch what happens. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy. Uh-oh, there's our jealousy. 
and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Wait a second. What did Paul say? His ministry in, in Romans 11, 11 was to do what? Provoke them to jealousy. How did he do it? As the apostle of the Gentiles, he's speaking to the heathen, the unsaved, the unbelievers out there. But he's speaking to all of them, not just the Jew. Not just the Gentile. Ephesians 2 says that the body is made up of twain, Jew and Gentile. What's Paul doing? Boom. Why are they blaspheming and contradicting? That's a little different, isn't it? Why are they been provoked to envy? Why are they showed up and they're mad? They're jealous. Why? Because salvation is now gone to who? To everybody. Wait a minute. Salvation is just mine. Not anymore. It's everybody. Verse 46, then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, now watch, it was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you, the Jews, but Israel, but seeing ye put it from you, who put it from them? They did it themselves. And judged yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. Now, isn't that interesting? What did the Jew do? That unbelieving Jew stayed unbelieving. Now, some of them believed. Verse 47, For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of, of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the end of the world, unto the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad, and glorified the word of the Lord, and as many as were ordained to eternal life, what? believed. What did the Gentiles do? They believed. They got on board. They're ready to go. Why? Because what did Paul say? It's by faith alone. No religious activity. Verse 49, and the word of the Lord was published throughout all the region. But the Jews stirred up the devout and honorable women and the chief men of the city, and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their coast. But they shook off the dust of their feet against them and came unto Iconium, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost, and off they go. You go over to Acts 18, what does he say? Verse 5 and 6, you judged yourself unworthy, we're going to the Gentiles. The end of Acts 28, Acts 28, 28 there, what does he say? We're going to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. We're on our way. By the way, the Gentile there is including the unbelieving Jew. That's what that's including. So if you go back to Romans 11, in Romans 11, 11, God is provoking them, 11, verse 11 and verse 14, he's provoking them, He's shaking things up with them, and he's using it by the new apostle, the apostle Paul. As his manner was, going in, and you know what he's preaching? That, the, that God is now sending his salvation to everyone, apart from the nation of Israel. Salvation is sent unto the 
Gentiles. They have deemed themselves unworthy, the religious sect. But some of them believe. Some of them join the church, the body of Christ. And off they go. They are walking in that nine, in chapter 9, unbelief. Chapter 10, unbelief. Chapter 11, what are they operating in? Under the works of the law. That's why 11.6, when he says, if it's of, uh, and if by grace, and it is no more of works, otherwise grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace, otherwise work is no more work. What are they doing? They're operating by the works of the law. And Paul's message is now what? Can't do that. Don't do that. It's now by faith and faith alone. Come over with me to Galatians 5. I just want to take the, the, the next 10, 15 minutes and just show you some verses here of provoking to jealousy and provoking to emulation and what Paul was doing when it comes to the message that Paul was given. Okay? If you want to know why Paul does what Paul does in the book of Acts, you'll never find it in Acts. You will find it in the corresponding epistle that he writes at the, of that time. Okay? When you find that, then you can say, okay, this is why. But really, why is he doing what he's doing in Acts? Romans 11 and Romans 11:14. He's provoking them. He's sticking them. Look at Galatians 5. I told you that, and I didn't get there. All right? Look at Galatians 5. In Galatians, uh, it goes back to Acts 15, historically. In Acts 15, the Jews had required the Gentiles that in order for them to be justified, they had to go and do the law of Moses. Okay? You want to get saved, you got to be circumcised and keep the law. Paul rolls in, gives them a little edification of, of the new program. Now watch verse 11, Galatians 5.11. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Wow, what a question. If you guys are just saying I'm preaching the same thing that everybody else has been preaching, then why am I taking it in the neck? Then is the offense of the cross, what? Ceased. Now, the focus in that verse is the offense of the cross is what? Ceased. Because Israel is offended by the cross. Because what does the gospel of the grace of God preach? What does Paul's gospel preach? It preaches the cross, and the fact is you can't do anything to, to merit or gain or any eternal life. It's simply believing in what he has done for you in your stead. Romans 1 to 5. What does the law tell the Jew? You have to perform. You have to do. If then. If you do, then. If you do, then. Come over to 1 Corinthians 1. If you do this, then what does the law require? It requires a work. It requires an activity. What does grace require? 
Nothing. It's a free gift. What, when you get a gift, what do you say? Thank you. That's what you say. That's why thanksgiving, thankfulness is such a critical entity in Paul's message, is being thankful. That heart of gratitude, of appreciation of what God the Father has given you and done for you and God the Son, and thanking him for it. Look at 1 Corinthians 1. Look at verse 18. What's Paul say here? For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the, what? Power of God. Isn't that interesting? When we look at, when you think about the offense of the cross, what does the cross say? There's nothing for you to do. All you have to do is trust me. Believe me, place your faith in my activity. Verse 22, for the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a what? Stumbling block. And under the Greeks foolishness. So when Paul goes into the synagogue, according to 1 Corinthians 1, which he writes in Acts 19, Acts 20 time frame, What's he been preaching to the Jews in the synagogue? The cross. Not what it meant in their program, but what it means to them now moving forward. And what does it say? Christ is the end of the law. The law was fulfilled in the cross work of Christ. It is finished. It is done. There's nothing for you to do. And what does that old Jew do? Moses back and says, oh, no, Moses says. And Paul goes, yeah, but Abraham. And that's why in Galatians, Paul goes to Abraham, not Moses. Paul goes right back there to Abraham. Where does the, where, the Jew goes back to Moses? He goes back to the law, the unbelieving Jew. By the way, the believing remnant, the little flock, do you know where they go? Abraham. But every time you read about the unbelieving Jew, the apostate nation, you know where they go? Moses. Because what are they trying to keep? The law. They're trying to keep it. Why? Because that external effort demonstrates an internal clean, cleanliness, and God says, that ain't how it works. Mark 7, that ain't how it works. It works from the inside out, and you guys got it backwards. So when you think about, so when Paul preaches what does paul preach when he goes into the synagogue we preach christ crucified how's he doing that not in peter that's why he says if you think if you think i'm preaching what those guys are preaching why am i still getting nailed you know hammered over here i'm not i'm preaching about the fact that the power of god is demonstrated at calvary and he shed his blood for you he's your savior by faith alone. I don't know. Write down John 4, 22. Just during the Acts 9 to 28, quickly because we're running out of time. We know what Paul is preaching during Acts 9 to 28 by these verses. He's provoking Israel to, to jealousy. He's provoking them to emulation. And he's doing it with the message given to him as the apostle of the, gent the Gentiles. John 4, verse 22. Just look here. We'll just run through these and 
we'll get as many as we can get and we'll be, we'll be done. John 4.22, the Lord is talking here. Uh, he, he, he's dealing with the, the woman here at the well. And he says, ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. What does Romans 11 say? Salvation is come unto the Gentiles. The Jews had the claim to salvation in the Old Testament. But now, the Gentiles have a claim on it without the nation of Israel in their way. Come over to John 11. You're in John. John 11. John 11, 51. John 11, 51. John 11, 51. And this spake he, not of himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for who? That nation. Matthew 20, verse 28, he's the ransom for many. Matthew 20, 28. Isaiah 53, he's the ransom for many, right? Who did he die for? John eleven fifty one, 51. That nation. But what does Paul say in 1 Timothy 2, 6? He would have 1 Timothy 2, 6. Who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. How is God provoking? How is Paul provoking? He says, I speak to you Gentiles. That message that Paul is speaking to the Gentiles is the means by which God is provoking Israel, demonstrating to Israel that they are cast off, that they are a castaway, and that God now is dealing with mankind on equal basis. We sing that song, The ground is level at the foot of the cross. No man stands higher than I. Why is that? Because of a change in the program. Come back with me. Get Ephesians 1 and get Numbers chapter 6. Get Numbers chapter 6. Numbers chapter 6. And Ephesians chapter 1. Numbers 6 and verse 27. Numbers 6, 27. The end of the chapter, he says, And they shall put my name upon the children of Israel, and I will bless them. Israel, the Jew, expected to be blessed. The Abrahamic covenant said, I will bless them that bless thee, and I will curse them that curse thee. What did Israel anticipate? What could Israel demand? To be blessed. God's going to do it. The Gentiles will do it. You go read Deuteronomy 28, you go read Isaiah and Ezekiel and Daniel, and you, and you read, uh, especially in Ezekiel, about the future when the kings, when the Gentile nations are going to come in and bless. You see it in Queen of Sheba, and bless the Jews, the, the nation of Israel. What could Israel demand? To be blessed. Why? Because we're the blessed. But look at Ephesians 1.3. What's happening today? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us. Well, who would be the us? The church, the body of Christ, that group made up of Jew and Gentile. Now we are what? Blessed. Wait a minute. The Jew is going to bow his back and say, hang on a second. That's not yours. That's mine. Ephesians 1.3, who blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. 
Now God is able to bless anyone and everyone without the nation of Israel, as long as they're aware in Christ. You go back to Exodus 19. Look back there at Exodus 19 and get Titus 2. Exodus 19 and Titus 2. Exodus 19 and Titus 2. Exodus 19, they've come out of the wilderness. Titus 2. Exodus 19, 5. Exodus 19, 5. They've come out of of, uh, the bondage there. They've been walked through the wilderness. They've had their testings. They come up to the Mount Sinai. Verse 5, Moses says to them, Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. What kind of people are they to be? Peculiar. Come over to Titus chapter 2. That word peculiar, set apart. You're unique. You belong to God. You belong to me, God's saying to Israel. As, As long as you what? Keep my commandments, obey my voice, do what I'm asking you to do. Now look at Titus 2.14. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a what? Peculiar people. Zealous of good works. Think about that. Here is Paul talking to the unbelieving Jew over there about you have a chance to become a peculiar people, but not in that old program, not in Israel's program, over here in this new program. What do you think they're going to do? They're going to get a little upset. He's provoking them. Pay attention here. Now the Gentile is peculiar to Titus 2.14. Go back to Deuteronomy 7. Deuteronomy 7. I I don't know. You, You take, we're just doing these here. Deuteronomy 7 and Ephesians 1. Deuteronomy 7. You can do this all day long. We're not going to do that. Deuteronomy 7. Look at verse 6. Deuteronomy 7, 6. The Lord talking here to through Moses to the nation. Thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all the people that are upon the face of the earth. What's Israel's status there? They're the chosen people, aren't they? Now look at Ephesians 1.4. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. Chosen who? Us, the church, the body of Christ. But when did he choose us? See, the timing is important there. Because in, in, in Deuteronomy, he's chosen Israel to be. And then he says, no, I'm going to choose the body, but I'm going to keep that secret. And Paul shows up and says, I'm here giving you a mystery, hidden wisdom of God here. And what does that Jew do? Nuh-uh, it's mine. And Paul says, it was, it's no longer, it, does, it no longer belongs to just you. Now it belongs to everyone. You go to, where time's up, you go to 1 Chronicles 17, in verse 21, and Israel, he's going to redeem his people before the Gentiles. He's going to redeem them from the Gentiles. He's going to redeem them out of satanic 
captivity. What does he do to you and I in Ephesians 1, verse 6 and 7? He redeems us the same way. You go over to Deuteronomy 4, and verse 7 and 8, where it talks about God is near to Israel. In Ephesians 2, 13 and 14, what is he now? You who are far off are brought nigh. Changing the statuses. You go over to 1 Corinthians 1, 22, the Jews require a sign, right? You go back in the Mark 16 and Psalm 74, and you know what they're crying for? Their signs. Well, what does he do for you and I? Well, 1 Corinthians 12, what's Paul and the guys there able to do? The signs. Why are they doing our signs? They don't deserve them. Those belong to us, don't you know? And Paul says, hang on a minute, sit down right over here, let me tell you. And when he does, Corinth is joined hard next door as a synagogue. He gets two of the, two of the pastors over there joining the church the, little, the, the church, the body of Christ, next door at Corinth. When you read the account. You go to Romans 3, the first three, four verses there. Israel had the oracles of God given directly to the 1 Timothy 3. Verse 15, the local church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. We have the word of God now, not just exclusively given. You go to 1 Corinthians 1, Paul water baptized for a while, then he stops. Why does he stop? Because that activity was stopping. It's ceasing. Why does Paul be able to heal and do what he does in Acts? It's to provoke Israel. That's why he does it. And it's that simple. So go back to Romans 11, because I'm going to take five extra minutes. And again, folks, you can just, the question to ask yourself isn't, it, it is, why is he doing it? But do it with the issue of Romans 11, 11 to 15 in your mind. That's the answer. And it's that simple. It is not hard. It's that easy. You don't, he, he can't, uh, when he's dealing with a bunch of Gentile dogs, he can't make it difficult. If you think of, I think about Mark 7, where the Lord describes the nature of man. Then, and in that description, he includes the nature of the religious man. And you know what? They're the same thing. There's no difference between them when he describes them. What does man want to do? I can't look weak. I got to be strong. What's God say? That's fine. You be strong. I'm just going to come over here. And in the foolishness of the preaching of the cross, I'm going to save them that believe me. And I'm going to go do this. Paul in Romans 11, you know what he says? Israel, you're cast away. You're fallen because of your unbelief. My ministry amongst you in this diminishing period is to provoke you. It's to come in and say, see, what you had is now gone to the Gentiles. What you think you got is now gone to the Gentiles. What you think you should be yours is now over here. And God is righteous in doing it. He's just in doing it. 
because you have fallen, because you have been cast aside. And the reason you've been that way is because of your unbelief. And by the way, Elijah says, when he quotes Elijah earlier in the passage, it's a common thing in Israel's history. This is nothing new. Okay? All right, we'll catch a little bit out of verse 15 next time and get on down into this passage that tends to break people's foolish necks on. And there's no reason for it when you come out of the understanding of 11.11 to 15. When you move into this, it becomes, to me anyway, it becomes a a lot clearer. Okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the look into it and the instructions to our hearts that are there so that we can walk worthy of who we are in you. In your name we pray. Amen.